I read this brilliant article and it really provoked me. Into, I think Alfred Hitchcock is a, the greatest film director of all time for multiple reasons. And one of the main ones is there aren't many artists in any field that have made their best work throughout their whole career. Some of his early uh, 1930s films uh, and, and late 30s films are regarded as classics. A lot of the work he did in the 40s. Arguably, he reached his peak in the 50s with Rear Window and North by Northwest and Vertigo and a few others as well. And then in the 60s, there were films like The Birds and uh, Psycho. So he's made his best work throughout his whole career. But this is a great article on what was my favourite film of all time. And I might do a little review of it after this. But this says most of what I would have to say. From Nicholas Barber from the BBC. Vertigo gets better with age. Alfred Hitchcock's mind-bending mystery wasn't a critical or commercial hit when it was released. 60 years ago, in an interview with Francois Truffaut in 1962, Hitchcock himself classed it as a failure. But few failures have gone on to be so successful. In the critics' poll conducted once a decade by Sight and Sound magazine from the UK, Vertigo was ranked in 1982 as the seventh best film ever made. By 92, it crept up to fourth in 2002, it was second only to Citizen Kane, which had occupied top spot for 40 years. And in 2012, Vertigo overtook Olsen Wells' masterpiece to take top spot. Why has its reputation climbed to such dizzying heights? One obvious reason is the film drips with a kind of toxic cynicism which appeals to critics in retrospect more than it does to Saturday night cinema goers. In a canon not short of gruesome murders and cruel betrayals, Vertigo stands out as Hitchcock's most mercilessly bleak work. Two women die horribly. The hero's sanity is shattered. And there's no indication the urbane villain will ever be punished. You can see why it frustrated viewers who were in the mood for a Jimmy Stewart adventure yarn in 1958. Another reason why Vertigo now towers over the competition is its themes have become ever more relevant. It's not one of those films which predict the future, and it's not a science fiction movie, but it was certainly way ahead of its time. When you watch Vertigo in the age of the internet, virtual reality and artificial intelligence, it resonates as loudly as a church bell. Adapted from a French novel by Pierre Boilier and Thomas Narsajek, and scripted by Alex Koppel and Samuel Taylor, Vertigo stars James Stewart as John Scotty Ferguson, a San Francisco police detective who retires with a bad back and a worst case of acrophobia, fear of heights. With nothing better to do, he accepts a job offer from an old college buddy, a shipbuilding magnate named Gavin Elster, played by Thomas Hillmore. His assignment is to keep an eye on Elster's wife, Madeline, Kim Novak, not because she's having an affair, but because she is behaving strangely. Every now and again, her own personality fades away to be replaced by that of Carlotta Valdez, a relative of hers who committed suicide a century earlier. As Scotty follows Madeline through San Francisco's steeply inclined streets, it's the worst possible city for someone with acrophobia. The film pretends to be a supernatural chiller, the spine-tingling tale of a woman who is either possessed or insane. But the storyline comes to an abrupt, shocking conclusion when Scotty sees Madeline falling to her death from a bell tower. Desperately infatuated, he's traumatised for months. So when he spots Judy, a shop assistant who looks like Madeline, he coerces her into changing her clothes, her hairstyle, until she is indistinguishable from the woman he loved and lost. The twist? 
Judy was that woman. The Madeline who bewitched Scotty was Judy all along, stylized by Elster as part of a scheme to murder his actual wife. And the person Scotty saw plunging from the tower was the real Madeline, not the counterfeit. All clear? Probably not, but the makeover scenes have led to Vertigo being described as Hitchcock's confessional, his brazen acknowledgement he tried to mould every actress he hired into an ideal Hitchcock blonde. And while this has always been one source of the film's fascination, it's an even bigger one now. In the past year alone since Harvey Weinstein's crimes against women were brought to light, we've had to think harder about the sexist bullying perpetrated by Hitchcock and his peers. Vertigo has become a key text in the prehistory of the Me Too movement. But that's not the only facet of the film that's weirdly contemporary. To focus solely on the idea that Scotty embodies all of Hitchcock's control freak tendencies, it's to look, overlook the fact Scotty is being controlled too. All the time he's stalking Madeline, or the woman he presumes is Madeline, he isn't a Svengali but a stooge, a lovelorn dupe who's being suckered by a beautiful femme fatale, just like the hapless heroes of so many film noirs before him. What's unusual about his predicament is that Judy doesn't use her own feminine wiles to seduce him. Rather, she's playing a role which was written for her by Scotty's pal Elster. And that's the aspect of the con which upsets Scotty the most. Did he train you, he rants, when he realised he's been tricked? Did he rehearse you? Did he tell you what to say? The kicker is that Elster is one of the old gang from college. We can assume he tailored his plan to fit Scotty. Another college friend, Midge, Barbara Belgedis, sums up the detective as the bright young lawyer who thought he was going to be chief of police one day. Instead, he wound up as an invalid with a corset and a walking stick. But the scenario concocted by Elster allowed him briefly to be a winner again. A knight in shining armour coming to the aid of a damsel in distress. What enrages Scotty at the film's feverish climax is the knowledge that this flattering and potentially redemptive narrative was entirely forth, a simulation of reality. The depths of Elster's deception and Scotty's self-deception would have been disturbing enough in 1958 when audiences were used to seeing Stuart as a true blue hero who always got the girl. But at least they could reassure themselves that the plot was devilishly far-fetched, as the New York Times put it. No one except a Hitchcock villain would ever attempt a ruse as complicated or risky as Elster's. After all, using information you gathered about somebody in order to construct a bogus persona to exploit them, who would do a thing like that? These days, unfortunately, the answer is pretty much everyone. Thanks to the internet, the world's full of people crafting fake identities. Judy and Elster were simply catfishing before the term was invented. And that's why Vertigo is so horrifying today. To watch Scotty's torment now is not to smirk at how contrived it all is, but to wonder whether we could be hoodwinked in a similar way by a dating app or a Facebook friend, a Twitter bot, a marketing algorithm. Could we be taken in by an image of a romantic partner? and an image of ourselves which has been formulated coldly and calculatingly for that purpose? This question has been asked regularly in recent science fiction films. Alex Garland's Ex Machina, Spike Jonze's Her, and Dennis Villeneuve's Blade Runner all worry about whether we can distinguish between the organic and the artificial, and whether that distinction matters. Joaquin Phoenix's character in Her, for instance, rejects a blind date play by Olivia Wilde, because he'd rather snuggle up to his smoky-voiced operating system. But Vertigo got there first. It's clear the aforementioned Midge is carrying a torch for Scotty, even if she did break off their engagement years before. 
And it's clear that she isn't some ethereal dream girl, but a flesh and blood woman. When we first see her, she's sketching a lingerie advert. What's this doohickey, asked Scotty. A quintessentially James Stewart question. It's a brassiere, teases Midge. You know about those things, you're a big boy. But what might be more accurate to say is Scotty's a little boy. Someone so immature he turns down dinner and a movie with the loyal Midge and later with Judy to pursue Madeline, a living doll who's been manufactured to pique his interest. And that's what prompts Scotty's metaphorical downfall, as well as Judy's literal downfall. Yep, she ends up tumbling from that bell tower too. He chooses fantasy over reality, much like the men in Westworld and the Stepford Wives. And in the 21st century, when we spend so much of our lives online, quite a lot of us are making the same mistakes. Again, I wouldn't argue for a moment that Hitchcock was warning us about algorithms or the internet when he was making Vertigo. He wasn't pondering the dangers of AI or virtual reality, but rewatch that classic credit sequence designed by Sal Bass. First, there's a black and white close-up of a woman's mouth. The camera moves up to her eyes, which look right and left. As the camera zooms in on one eye, the screen is tinted red and the eyes widen. An intricate purple vortex starts to spin in its pupil. The film that follows is, of course, a Hitchcock suspense thriller. But if it did happen to be the story of an android that had been built to mesmerise her unsuspecting prey, it could hardly have had a more appropriate opening than that. I thought that was a really thought-provoking and excellent article about uh, Vertigo, and it reminded me of Under the Skin, the Scarlett Johansson film at the end, where she is precisely created to do exactly that. From Nicholas Barber, and I'll give my thoughts about the film Vertigo, uh, a brief review of Vertigo now, in, in, in light of the fact that a lot's been said about it. What do I think of this film? Well, in the era of 40 years of uh, Citizen Kane being ranked the number one film by Sight and Sound, which is, is kind of like one of the most pivotal polls on what the best film is. We, I never thought Citizen Kane was the best film ever made. It's, a, it's an exercise in form for me. It's not a very human film. I even like the, mag, the flawed Magnificent Ambersons, which were butchered by the studio, to Orson Welles' next film. Because it was so human, it had so much soul to it and so much more than Citizen Kane, which was just dazzling. Um, and I always thought that Vertigo was the best film of all time. There's a lot of class involved here. Sal Bass is the most famous credit sequence designer. Bernard Herrmann, maybe the most famous soundtrack artist of all time. They all do great work. The cinematography is fantastic by Robert Burks. It's... Um, it's a bright, washed-out San Francisco. You see the views of the bay and the streets and the hills. But ultimately, I want to compare it with North by Northwest. Um, and North by Northwest has a thrilling story from the moment it opens. Each couple of minutes, something f f wonderful in the story happens. So why is it Vertigo, which sort of meanders for about half its length until it really kicks into gear? Why is that so much better now? It's because we want the psychological, the existential, the we want to be given intelligence. We don't want to be spoon-fed every single frame of a story. Sometimes that works wonderfully, but if you look back at North by Northwest, it feels more dated to our modern eyes, but Vertigo doesn't because there's so much left unsaid and there's so much we can feel that's resonant. We know that uh, Barbara Bel Geddes is the embodiment of a real flesh and blood woman and that she'd even been engaged to someone that she's obviously hopelessly in love with. 
but she's obviously left him because she knows that she's only getting she's she's the uh, girl who, who marries the guy that's given up and she knows that she's always going to be in danger of that femme fatale that comes along and Scotty's so immature that he's always going to be susceptible to this idealised version of a woman. And it, it plays with your mind as well, the film. It's, it flows, I think, wonderfully. It is necessarily quite still for much of the film because we're watching some, something take hold in people's minds rather than a narrative that you can say, you know, that guy appeared here and this happened and they pulled a gun out and so on. It's all psychological. Um, it's pro it's one of James Stewart's best performances. Um, he plays what's ultimately, and and I love when they cast people like this in a role like this. It's almost like casting Tom Hanks in it. Um, he isn't a nice person. He's a, a pretty self-obsessed, a pretty immature guy, and he's oblivious. And we get a very modernist take. The villain in this, the guy that manipulates him. He uses his old life as a way of getting this very predictable guy to do whatever he wants. We barely see him. They actually had censorship problems because they tried to force them to have a bit stuck on the end of the movie saying that the guy was being pursued by the police that caused all of this. But nothing happened. They, Hitchcock ended up refusing to put that in the film. He never gets his comeuppance at all. He gets off scot-free and two women are dead and... And the thing that I really liked in that BBC piece was how he, I've always known about these Hitchcock blondes, and they're very famous, the fact that both the director used to torment them, like in The Birds with Tippi Hendren, and um, they, they were often given roles where they suffered psychological abuse or manipulation. North by Northwest as well, even Marie Saint, is put in a position where she has to have a sexual relationship, which happened in a few of Hitchcock's films, which was quite edgy for the 50s, with somebody which she's virtually forced to have a sexual relationship with a man and maintain that by outside forces. And in, in this instance, it's, 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 Vertigo is a very sad film because Scotty finds the woman of his dreams twice. He finds her in Barbara Belgetti's character, who's just his mate, who's wonderful in every way that you could possibly be. And he dismisses her, but he finds this girl that he'd fallen in love with and he then tries to mold her into the fake version of her he's not happy with who she is and at the final point where he actually probably can deal with the fact that she is a real living breathing woman she dies in one of the most brilliant ending scenes in history very very bleak but in my in my time on this show probably about 14 years I've only reviewed a film once and given it 10. I've never reviewed a film that's new. Um, the only film that I ever reviewed and gave a 10 to was Once Upon a Time in the West, Sergio Leone's last of four westerns. I also mentioned in that review I would have given a 10 to Good, Bad and the Ugly, but I didn't review it. And last year I gave a 10 to Twin Peaks because I thought it represented a revolution in form and content that had never been achieved or even attempted on television. Uh, even though there are flaws, it just extends so much further. And that's the same with Vertigo. And the only irony here is all that time Citizen Kane was thought of as the greatest film of all time, I thought it was Vertigo. And I reviewed Once Upon a Time in the West and gave it a 10. 
a few years back and I watched it on TV of all places a couple of about six months ago it was on TV and I was on the edge of my seat staring at the screen going no this is actually the greatest film of all time so I've actually relegated Vertigo to the second best film of all time behind Once Upon a Time in the West but I will give it a 10 out of 10 so it's only a second movie I've reviewed that I've given a 10 out of 10 to but then again they're my number one and two films of all time possibly Leon Fonda parody Children of Paradise would be in that top three I'm not so sure on the order there anyway I'll send us out with one from the Deaf Heaven feature album brand new only came out yesterday Ordinary Corrupt Human Love which is